0: We also want to pray for Ruth Ellen Real, Ken's mother. She is still in the hospitals, as as far as I know, uh, still fighting a serious illness. So uh, we're going to pray for her, uh, along with a blessing on Lester as he preaches. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your presence among us. Thank you especially for the many opportunities that are before us. And thank you especially for the power that we can have through Jesus, And we pray, thank you too, for this power that is available for healing. We ask your blessing on the real family, especially during this time, Eli and Ruth Ellen especially. Please give grace and courage to them. Give victory during the times of discouragement and temptation. And also healing, if that is your will. And if it's not your will to heal and restore, that you would give grace to them during this time especially. Thank you also for the power of your word. We realize, Lord, that your word is like seed. There is life in a seed, and there's life in your word. No, we pray your blessing on Lester as he preaches. May you anoint him with your spirit and help him to be able to speak the truth boldly. Thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.
1: Greetings in Jesus' name to each of you. We'll try to switch gears a little bit here. I appreciated that, Chad, and you leading out in, in, in doing that and drawing our attention to what is before us this week. I'm always very um, blessed each year when this time comes around to see how that we can pull together to accomplish something like this. It um, makes church... Much easier when there's willing people, and I've seen a lot of that already. And we'll see this week as each one willingly um, volunteers to do something here with this. A lot, a lot of hours of work go into this. So thank you for that. <clears throat> I want to now invite your intention attention to the Word of God, but I want to begin begin by talking about a animal, or a fish to be exact, part of God's creation, that I thought of in preparation for this sermon. There is a number of different animals or reptiles or fish that have the ability to change their color, to adapt to their environment. One of them in particular is a fish called a flounder that's found in, widely found around in in the ocean, in salt water. And It is a fish that primarily feeds at the bottom of the ocean and and therefore it wants to blend in with the bottom of the ocean. And that being an environment that varies greatly in in color, this fish has the ability to to blend in with with its surroundings and in that way protects itself from its predators. This fish has... Has a, uh, the scientists have found that it has specialized skin cells with color pigments, and these cells have a, some kind of direct connection to the fish, to the flounder's eyes. So as the flounder looks around, what colors it sees, its body then changes, the skin pigment changes, and it adapts to its surroundings. Um, I had to think about this as, as I got ready for this sermon. Because I see that God calls us as Christians to not blend in with our surroundings in many ways, but rather to stand out. Uh, we're not to be conformed to the world. We're not to, we, we are to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. He says in James, we're not to be a friend of the world, but rather to be a light in a dark world, something that stands out. So rather than be like these fish that just constantly change to blend in with their surroundings, we're to be something that stands out. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. I'm going to be looking at a few verses in this book. As this is one of the letters that Paul wrote to the church. And in many of his letters, he we find that he urges the believers to be uh, to stand out in their environment, to be like Christ rather than like the world around them. And he often urges them and instructs them to be less like their surroundings, more like Christ. Some of these churches he wrote to were, or many or maybe all of them were, they were all fairly young churches, and many of them were in, in areas where where there was a lot of worldliness, if you want to say it that way. They were they were exposed to the corruption and the evil of the um, the world around them. They weren't living in big communities, as uh, maybe as we say today, but small churches that were starting up, and um, they stood out as people who were like Christ. That's why they were called Christians, because the world around them noticed that they were like Christ. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12, I'm going to read that, and then also chapter 4, verses 9 through 10. So Paul is urging the believers here in a specific way, uh, and, and I'll read those verses and then expound on that more. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another, and indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. Uh, just a little bit of, of background here to what he was, this church he was writing to. He had spent a short time in, in Thessalonica, and paul was was forced to to move on because of the hostility towards him for bringing the gospel there but a church was established there there was there was he spent enough of time there to proclaim the gospel and some people came to christ through that so now he was writing back to them since he couldn't be with them spend the time with them that he had wanted to He's writing a relatively short letter back to them after, um, I think it was Timothy or one of his other companions had traveled back there and brought word of, of what was happening there. The church there was growing, and so he's just writing a relatively short letter of encouragement to them, and he has a lot of good things to say about them. If, if you take the time to read this book, um, he really doesn't, he's not addressing any faults necessarily but he's seeing a lot of good in them and he sees that they're, they're people who are maintaining their faith and, and they have a love for each other. He, he says that right here that, you know, I don't need to write to you about this. You already do love each other, but yet he finds it necessary to urge them to love each other more and more. Now, how does this fit in with not blending in with our surroundings? Well, Today we have this word in the English language called love and it is so widely used and so interpreted in so many different ways that I fear at times that we forget the real meaning that the scripture has for us in that word. I looked up love in, on dictionary.com. It has about 14 different meanings for that word varying from, from anything from the score of nothing in tennis, if you never knew that, it's called a love, mm-hmm. to the sexual passion or desire, to the care for the, the well-being of each other. So there's a wide variety of meanings there for the word love. It's oftentimes in our modern world, the, the society we live in, it's used in a rather broad and careless way. We say things like, "I love my car," "I love my house," "I love this city." Um, I love the weather and things like that. And, and it's widely acceptable to use the word love in those situations. So we, we've come to think of it in, in a more shallow or flippant way. Does that carry over into how we love each other? And we are called as believers to have a love for each other. Again, a subject that that is um, emphasized over and over again throughout Scripture. We can't even begin to to, um, cover those passages where where we are taught and, and commanded to love one another, to love God, and to show that love in many ways, especially within the church. Does this carry over into our call for how we are to love each other? Are we blending in with our surroundings Or is there something about our love for each other that stands out to the world that they notice, that they see and say, that's something different? What is God actually calling us to when he says, love one another? Jesus said in John 13, by this will all know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Again, indicating that something about that is going to stand out. And people are going to notice that, and in fact, it will draw them to Christ. I invite you to turn to John chapter 21. I'm going to be drawing from this passage here in a conversation that Jesus had with Peter to to look at uh, what does Jesus mean when he calls us to love each other. How is this love different than perhaps um, the English word love and how we use it today. John chapter 21 verses 15 through 19 records Jesus questioning Peter's commitment to love him. I'll again give you a bit of a background to this passage here and and what was all happening. This was after Jesus' resurrection a short time after that, we know there was about a 40-day window there from the time Jesus rose from the dead till he left this earth. And so this was, was during that time. So only a week, two weeks, uh, three weeks after, Peter had denied his Lord three times. And that was not, not a distant memory. That was something that was very much um, a recent event and probably on their minds as they um, interacted with jesus here we know that this was i think it tells us it was the third time that they saw jesus since he had resurrected Um, peter had said not long before this he told jesus even if all are made to stumble because of you i will never be made to stumble so he spoke rather boldly there and saying, I will never deny you. I won't leave you. I won't walk away from you. I'm committed to you. And then in, um, during the time after Jesus was arrested, we know that, that Peter denied him, not once, but three times. Matthew 26 says, he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the words of Jesus who had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. We know that Peter realized where he was wrong. He was convicted and he repented. I think he was probably at this time still in in a place where he was a little bit unsure of what his role was as a follower of Christ. Um, Was he even called to be a follower of Christ anymore? Was Jesus going to accept him because of what he had done? Some those are probably some of the questions that, that Peter was dealing with here. Now, earlier here in chapter 21, it tells us that in verse 3, it says that Simon Peter, um, along with, I think, it was six of the other disciples, uh, it says, Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. So they went back to their their old career they were unsure of of what their responsibility was at this time they knew jesus was alive they believed that yet he he kind of just showed up once in a while and so i think they were unsure of really what they were supposed to do and peter concluded well let's go back to what we were doing in the past fishing as their as their way of living i'm not sure that was necessarily wrong for peter to do that but um jesus did show up then and and they didn't realize right away that it was him but he showed up and he directed them into a different direction and we know that soon after this these disciples their their lives changed dramatically as they they understood what their call was the spirit came upon them and they um, definitely pursued a different career Now, I'll read verses 15 through 19 here, this conversation that Jesus had with Peter after they came in from their fishing trip. Uh, Jesus, after they followed his instructions, they did catch a lot of fish that night. And so Jesus had a conversation on the shore here with Peter, as well as the other disciples apparently being present there. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? When you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, Follow me. Jesus had some questions for Peter. And when he says to him, Do you love me? In the Greek, the Bible uses two different words, and and the English translation is always love, but in the Greek, it is two different words with different meanings, and they are not, from what I understand, not used interchangeably in the Scripture, and both of those words are used here, so um, pay careful attention to to how this conversation goes. Jesus is using the word love in the Greek, it's called agape. Agapeo or something like that. Agape is, is often the word we're familiar with, meaning love, and, and it's, it's a, um, closely related to that. But it's, it's a word for love that means, um, I think maybe the best way I can just describe it from what I understand it is beloved, or a, a deep kind of love, a deep affection, a love that values or esteems, it's unselfish, it's ready to serve. It, it's much more than just a feeling. And when Peter responded to Jesus, he used the word phileo in Greek, which is a different type of love. It is to be a friend, to have affection for. And interestingly, according to what I read, that word phileo is never used in the scripture when it commands men to love God. It's always the word agape, not phileo. Now, it, it is used that Jesus, it does say um, at one place that, that the son is loved by the father using the word phileo as a friend. So it's not that that isn't an accurate word to use and in the same way in how we are to love each other. You can use that word phileo, but when we are commanded to love God and when we are commanded to love each other, that command is always the word agape, loving in, in that sense as a beloved, as a deep affection. So what Jesus is asking Peter here is, are you my beloved? And Peter responds saying, yes, you know I'm your friend. And it seems like perhaps Peter was a little unsure of of where his commitment was with Christ. Maybe he was just simply afraid of making that bold a commitment after what he had done earlier. But Jesus asked him that the second time. And then the third time Jesus said to him, when he says, Do you love me? He uses the word Phileo. He's I think he's telling Peter or asking Peter, Are you really my friend? And, Jesus, and Peter says, Yes, you you know that I love you. You know I'm your friend. You know everything. What's the significance of this? Jesus was challenging Peter. How committed are you? Are you really, are you going to be my beloved? Do you love me? on that level? Are you committed to me? And then he gives us um, three ways in which we show that kind of commitment, that kind of love we show um, in three different ways here. He gives Peter the instruction to feed my sheep. And he says this three times. I, I know he uses a little bit different wording. and I'm not, not going to dwell on that. But what Jesus is asking of him is, okay, if, if you love me, if you really love me, then you will take care of my people. I think that's how Peter understood that when Jesus said, feed my sheep. Maybe a little bit like God coming to us and telling us, or or to put it in a a different context, because we're not so familiar with shepherds and sheep as we are with with cattle and maybe animals in general. But it's like Jesus is saying, okay, if, if you really love me, come take care of my cattle. It's like somebody asking you to come take care, to do their chores for them, take care of their animals. Jesus is saying, Peter, if you really love me, take care of my people. Tend my sheep, feed them, care for them. Jesus is calling him to, as Jesus left this world, he's calling his disciples to take on that responsibility of looking out for people. If you really love me, Take care of my people. And then he says in verse 18, he shows Peter how that in the future he will face some persecution, some um, difficulty that will require a sacrifice of him. And according to history, we we'll understand that Peter actually did give his life on the cross, on a cross for Christ. The second thing Jesus asks us to do if we truly love Christ is to stretch out our hands as a sacrifice. He says here, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. When you were younger, you did what you wanted to do. You looked out for yourself. When you're older, you're going to stretch out your hands, showing a type of surrender, a sacrifice, a giving of yourself, allowing your own life to be controlled by somebody else. You will stretch out your hands. That's what Jesus asks us to do if we truly love. And the third thing thing he says to Peter is, follow me. This speaks of obedience to Christ. He was asking Peter to, if you truly love me, walk in my footsteps. Follow me. Do what I did. Follow my example. Again, he's calling us if we truly love each other. if We truly love God. We want to follow his command to love each other. We're to feed his sheep, care for one another in a sacrificial way, in obedience to Christ. This is what he is calling us to do. In a conversation recently with a friend, he used this term to love well, and it it kind of one of those phrases that just stuck into into me at that time, and I, I kept pondering that and what that all means to love well. He was talking of this man had taken his family from one community to another, and he had, I think, made some sacrifices in doing that. And he was talking about the changes, the, the cultural changes that that required for him and his family, as well as a different church. and And I gathered that not everything was quite what they considered ideal in the setting they moved into, and he said that they have learned to seek to love people well in the circumstances they're in. First Corinthians, I just want to turn quickly there yet to First Corinthians chapter thirteen, what we often called a love chapter. In verse 4 and 5, it says, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, and thinks no evil. The love that is described in these verses is a love that has to be put to the test. It is a love that is committed to the good of another. It is a love that is self-sacrificing. It's not based on feelings. It's not superficial. It's a love that will be tested. Will we love well is the challenge I would like to leave with you. Will we love the way that Jesus was calling Peter to? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, we thank you this morning for your written word that is available to us for the power of your word. And as we have heard um, this morning already, the seed of truth that it contains, thank you that that seed is growing in our lives as we follow you, as we listen to you, believe it will bring forth fruit, help us to. Grasp the, the concept of loving each other in the way that you call us to. To see that love as something that stands out in the world. Rather than blending in with our surroundings, to be willing to love in that way. The people see you through how we relate to each other. and How we relate to people around us especially just pray that this week and how we relate to the children that come here, we would show your love and may you shine through us more and more each day. In Jesus' name, amen.